Cooper comes up, hits it. Yeah! Oh, what a shot! What a goal! What a goal by McFadden! Go, Leach. There's the goal! Richie! Hello and welcome to Hamden Park, the museum here at the National Stadium. Pleased to say I'm joined by Roy Aitken for the latest edition of the official Scotland podcast. Roy, hope you're well. Thanks very for very joining good. us. Thanks, yeah, great to be here. Um, we're going to take you in a bit of a, a trip down memory lane. I'm sure you've got some, some very interesting stories to share with us. So let me start by going back to the beginning. You, you grew up in Ardrossan. Yes. What's football like for you then? as a boy, what are your first memories of playing or watching the game? To be honest, I didn't start playing competitive until I got to secondary school, which was St Andrews. My, my primary school didn't really have a school team. So we played in the playground, played with your mates around the park. I mean, always be a ball at your feet sort of thing in those days. I mean, there was more opportunities just to get down the park and play with your mates rather than what there is now. But um, And then when I went to St Andrews Academy was when I started playing more structured, organised football, and that was like under 13s, obviously, first year. Um, but quickly, it, it sort of, things developed since then, because I played with local A United Boys Club um, as well in the afternoons. It used to be Air Boswell and A, A United Boys Club. Um, and that was like first and second year, and then just when I was in second year at school was when I got approached by A United to sign an S form. Um, the coach of the boys club came to me and said look we'd like to sign but we can't we only sign so many players in those days we only signed so many players in one year so my dad had said oh well that's interesting but you know we'll wait and see to the end of the season so I was still 13 it was about September October time at the same time as the local well the Ayrshire Celtic scout came to my door as well at the same time and said to my dad right away a guy called John Murray who um, I was actually one of his his sons taught me at school um, Michael Murray and his other son was my financial advisor later in the years. But anyway, John Murray came to me and said he wanted to sign right away. So, obviously, the chance to sign for Celtic, I was still 13 just before my 14th birthday. But I could have signed for A United that previous month had they carried it through. But as I, I then signed for Celtic. So that was a sort of background to my, to my early days. Um, and I was playing with a school team. I continued to play with A United Boys Club until 15 and then I moved to Celtic Boys Club at 16. That must have been quite a, a quick turnaround for you because in the space of a couple of years you've made your Celtic debut. You're in the Scotland under-21 set-up at you know, 16, 17 yeah. as well. What was under-21 national team football like back then, perhaps, c compared to what it's like now? Much the same in the sense of what it's like. I mean, you're right. I mean, it went very quickly. For me, signing as a schoolboy, it's at 13, 14. I obviously then went out. All the S-forms are brought in at under-16 level. It was a thing that John Higgins under Frank Cairn they did at Celtic Boys Club and a lot of the boys obviously the people like Peter Grant, Paul McStay, Charlie Nicholas we all came through the same system Derek White we all came through that boys club system because all the S-forms were brought into Celtic to play under 16 and then um, the following year after I left the boys club I went straight into Celtic's reserves team I didn't go normally in those days a lot of boys went out to juniors like people like Kenny the Leach and Danny McGain all these boys went junior for a year or so I went straight into the reserve team um, and I played, I made my debut in that year at 16. Um, and then uh, under John Haggart, I think was he was the first under 21 coach before Andy took over. Uh, John, I, I bypassed the youth team actually. I didn't play under 18 Scotland youth. So I was in a couple of squads, but I actually played for the under 21s when I was 16, 17. So I, so I missed out the youth level and went straight to under 21s. Um, but it was good. I mean, it was great. I try to think compared to now. I mean, I was still at school then, so it was a slightly different sort of surreal 
scenario, playing with Celtic first team and playing with Scotland under-21s when I was still at school for that final year, I was doing my hires. What are your memories of playing under-21s? Because we always talk about sort of bridging that gap, don't we, between you know 21s and the full squad. Were there guys in that team that you perhaps thought would have gone on to have great careers that didn't quite make it? or Were most of them making well, a, a step up? A lot of them were making a step up anyway. I mean, you talk about people like, um, try to think who's the team, but there was George, but the overage players, I mean, Asa Hartford played one of the one of the games. Um, Archie Gemmell actually came back in and played one of the, one of the overage at that time. So there was they brought in two overage players at that time for the under twenty ones because it was sort of breaking between under twenty threes that sort of had gone under twenty ones were just starting. Um, I mean, we went we went to Toulon with that that group as well. Alan Hansen and Joe Craig under Andy Roxburgh were the two overage players that came along and helped us out. But he had George Burley, you had John Wark. You know, there were so many players that had come through, Arthur Albison, I can mention umpteen different ones that all played, Graham Sinclair, I played with Celtic, Tommy Burns was in that team as well, George McCluskey was in and around that team. You know, there was quite a lot of the Celtic boys that I was with as well that played for the Scotland under-21s. You need to go through the list to have a look at it, but it was a great upbringing in a sense. So, you know, I, I was playing, as I usually did any, played, I was playing above my age group, but for me it was a great development for me in a sense of playing with these guys who are playing regular first-team football with their top clubs, both in England and in Scotland. Um, and there's that Toulon tournament that Andy was in charge of. It, it was a great experience at that stage. I was only 18, but I was able to to get to gain experience to take me on further for my debut. And well, that's that. the Scotland debut comes 1979. 79, I think yeah. your Celtic manager, gives you the debut. Yeah. What do you remember about that occasion? Um, it was a Peru game, wasn't it? it was, yeah. Uh, again, it's just a... You're in the squad. You're always waiting for the for the call up, and then you get the chance to play in the game. It's always your ambition to play national teams. So, you know, I've been in a few squads up to then. Obviously, been in the twenty ones, been in the first team squads, and then you just get your chance to go and play the game. You do your best, the best you can. Um, I mean, my early part of my career with Scotland actually was in and out of team a lot. I mean, over the first after my debut, over that first four or five years, I was virtually in every squad. But I was playing between like centre back and central mid for Celtic. So at centre back you had like the McLeishan Miller, you had Neri, you had Hansen, you had all these guys who were playing regularly for their clubs. And I was probably just fitting in and around that at the time because I, I played most of my Scotland games in central mid. Um, so the early part of my career, the first four or five years, in fact, the first five years I probably played like 11 games, but was in like maybe 40 squads. So it was a bit frustrating coming to the games and maybe not getting involved. And then I remember prior to the 82 World Cup, I was involved in a couple of the squads, but was probably playing more at centre-back. And then Jockstein picked, I remember he picked Alan Evans from Forest, who'd won the European Cup that year. He picked Alan Evans to go with the squad, and I missed out in 82. I was a little bit disappointed at that time, I've got to be honest, because I thought I'd played really well for Celtic over that year. I'd been in a couple of squads, Hadn't done anything wrong, but wasn't picked for the group, final group, final 22, I think it was that thing. Um, so that was that was probably disappointing to me as a player, having been involved in a lot of squads, but not travelling to the World Cup. Um, and I think it was because he, you know, he picked one or two others at that time um, to, to take their place. What was Jockstein like as a manager then? I'm, I'm sure you could go on all day about that, but any you know sort of stories in particular that that sum up what he was like as a manager? I mean, I had him both at club and international. He definitely he definitely mellowed more with the national team because I think he realised that he was in a sense a national coach is borrowing players. You know, it's not your players every day every week, so you're getting the players to come in. You know, in those days it was maybe even three, just only three or four days at a time. 
Uh, not unlike now, there's a double header. You know, it used to, used to be you turned up on the Sunday night and you played on the Wednesday and you're back to your club on the Thursday. You know, so you only had the team for three, four days, which was difficult, I think, for the national manager. The secret with the national manager in those days was making sure he got the blend of the team, which, to be fair, a big job. That was his strength, you know, I remember at Celtic. But at Celtic, he had, you know, he ruled with that iron fist at Celtic. You know, he was in total control as a coach. He'd been there and done it with the Lisbon Lions, with all that group that came before me. You know, I got him for two or three years at the end. You know, obviously, he gave me my debut at Celtic. Him and Sean Farm, Sean Farm's caretaker, because Jock was in hospital that year that I got my debut. But then he came in and took over. And he was the first player to actually move me from because I played as a young boy, centre-back, from centre-back into central midfield, like a defensive midfield player. I hadn't really been done then a lot, but he, you know, as a coach, the coach he was, saw that as a position that I could play in, and, and that's probably what I played most of my games with Scotland as well. Does that sum him up then, you know, seeing something yeah. in you that, that perhaps yeah. others didn't see? I think the ability to build a team was what Jock's strength was, as the, all the top managers are, you know, Alec Ferguson done it three or four times at Man United. And you look at people like Mourinho and Guardiola, these guys, the top, top guys, you know, even Brendan Rodgers at Celtic now, you know, he's, he built, he's built his team. It's not always, you would say, I don't disrespectfully saying it's 11, the 11 most talented players, it's about having a, a group of players and building the team around each individual, you know, and knowing, for example, my strengths, knowing Tommy Bondy's strengths or Paul McStay's strengths or other Graham Souness, you know, I played lo loads of games with Graham in the middle of the park. So good coaches tend to build teams with, you know, knowing exactly the strengths of each player. And there's a secret to that, you know. Um, and that's, as I say, not always the 11 most talented individuals, but it's building that strong team, strong unit, that each individual compensates each other. And Jock was, Jock was a master at that, you know. Now, you had established yourself as a Scotland player by the time that tragic night in Cardiff rolls around. How do you reflect on that night, I know, you know some people talk about it, and, and almost there's a kind of numbness there. They can't, they can't remember because yeah. of the shock. How do you? I mean, obviously, my, 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 as I said before, my career from '79 to '85, I'd played like five games and been in every squad. You know, I played eleven games or something between every squad. And then Fergie came on with Alec Ferguson had come on with Big Jock, and it, I remember it's prior to the Rouse Cup game, '85. I'm going back a little bit before before the Cardiff one, but. Um, I get pulled into the team to play myself and Graham in the middle of the park. One of the Richard Goff scored the winner, uh, 85 Rouse Cup. And that was a sort of turning point for me. Now, I think Alec Ferguson probably had a bit of a, I would say, influence on that as well at that time because um, I'd been in a lot of squads with Jock. He hadn't really picked me a lot of times. I was always about the place, but then I get pushed into the team at that, that, down that day in the Rouse Cup. And I never really was out of the team after that. Um, we played against Iceland the following week, beat them in the World Cup. And then that was the build-up going towards that championship. And then with the games, obviously, the, the, the games and the playoff games against Wales. Um, and, I mean, on the night, and you don't realise the pressure, I suppose, the manager's under. You know, going into that game, such a big, you know, you're carrying the nation's hopes, that's that playoff game. And I suppose the pressure was just too much for him. Well, it was too much for him on the night. We didn't really realise, as a player, you're, you know, I'm trying to think about the build-up to the game. Was it any different? No. He was meticulous in his preparation. We knew everything we had to know about our own specific jobs. We knew everything we had to know about the opposition. Um, I mean, some people say afterwards, yeah, he wasn't keeping well up until then, you know, and there was this, there was signs that he was, he was under, you know, physical pressure, you know. Um, but but on the on the night of the game, obviously, Coop, David Cooper scores the penalty. We get the draw we needed to qualify. 
um, or to get you know to get to that next level. And obviously we come off the pitch and we'd heard the bad news, the sad news, you know, and it was, it was devastating for the dressing room. The dressing room was, was just completely silent after the game because we knew something tragic had happened. There wasn't any celebration going on, the celebration being on the pitch, but once we got into the dressing room, it was just, it was flat, you know, and then obviously we heard the sad news that, that Jock had passed away. Um, and, you know, we knew on the night, I mean, we had, we had Dr. The Professor Stuart Hillis was with us, the heart surgeon, you know, uh, everything, as my understanding was, everything was done on the night to try and revive him, but it was just such a massive heart attack that nothing could be done. And it, the whole thing was just flat after that, you know? And the tragedy of it is, is that, that football does continue. Sir Alex comes in and, and takes over. I think it's a friendly with East Germany next yes. that, that you draw nil-nil. As a group, how on earth do you do you move on? And what part does Sir Alex play in sort of getting you up for, for the next challenge? Well, he, he plays a part because... He was he was uh, was also he was a master at what he did as well of, of the man management of the preparation. You're right, football moves on, life moves on in these scenarios, and you know it was it was Jock's team, but it was Jock's and Sir Alex's team really. It was moving forward, and so he was a, a perfect p person to be able to take the team forward and and, and motivate us and organise us in such a way of being able to. Well, the, the the target was to get to the World Cup, you know, get to Mexico. That was a always been the target then and that's what Jock wanted, that's what Jock put all his efforts into doing um, and really he's, Jock's life was football and for him to pass on a night like that, you know, from from him, it was his whole life was, was revolving around football anyway so it was just a case of moving on into the next level moving on, or the next stage and the tragedy was behind us then and it never goes away and you never forget it but you've got to move on and deal with the scenario moving forward and you know we had a, we had a job to do and that was to try and get the team to the to the Mexico World Cup because you see how, how much it means to the fans. You know, at the time, you know, it's such a big, such a big event, such a big challenge, such a big achievement to get there. Um, and it was Jock's team that was actually that was going there. You know, of course, the playoff then against Australia. That's uh, that's still a long journey. It was a long journey back then. Maybe felt even it was an epic, in, in the eighties. Uh, what, what was that like? To it be was a strange of? that because they cancelled the games. It was the first time ever I think that they cancelled the games prior to it and afterwards because of the journey. Um, the first game being here, you know, gave us a good, gave us a good lift to get there. Two nothing at Hamden was was terrific, you know. It was because um, you knew it was going to be a tough game over there, and the journey itself was, was going to make it even tougher. But they had, you know, the SFA under Alex, they'd done everything they could. They, you know, we'd all business class flights all the way down there. They'd sectioned off a section of the plane for the players. They made it as comfortable as possible over the two games, you know, to get there. But the, the biggest game was obviously the winning the game at home gave us that. You know, base to go over there and get a result. I mean, you, you know, anything a draw and, a, and obviously two nothing up, but it, it made it a lot easier going there. But it was a serial game because of the fact that we had to cancel games before and then cancel games afterwards because the jet lag does just take its toll. Ultimately, then the World Cup rolls around, and at this point, I'm going to produce this picture here from the archives. The the, the, pulled that out the, 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 the museum. I made yeah. this one at home actually. I'm you, not sure. can, you can talk us through this then. I can see you've you've put the football boots to one side, you're in the recording studio. You see we have kept well away from the mics. That's Absolutely. what I've kept to the side. So this is this is the world <laughs> Cup song, in the there, presumably yeah. who have we got here you can run through his back you've, row. You've got all the boys Arnold Brazil, Joe uh, John Wark, Stevie Archibald, Big Alec. That's the uh, singer, isn't it? <laughs> I think it must be That's the singer I'm looking I'm, at the sunglasses. There's Big Ruffy there, Frankie Gray, Wally, Kenny in the corner. Trying to think, who's in it? Is who's that in, shy oh, Gordon Strachan with his head down in the front row? That's me Gordon down there, isn't it, yeah? 
Hayes at Hartford is that there, Hayes in the corner. And you're Myself, well away from Danny's the Danny's right in the middle. There's a few faces missing for that right enough, so I don't know where, where that was. I'm just not sure where that was taken. But I mean, we're here in the, in the museum and I think we've got the, you know, we've got, oh, the, we've got the song there's behind there's us as well. Yeah, and, and in many ways, perhaps relevant to, to right now, where we're so desperate to get back to a major tournament, that sort of sums it up, doesn't it? I mean, everyone's desperate for the football side, but everything that goes into it, great. you and guys. And, uh, to be fair, it was a great, it was a good song. It was a good record. You know, it, was, it was one of those catchy ones. One of the punters could really sort of, you know, hone in on, you know, and sort of associate with. So I've got a copy at home. Hey, I will have a copy of it somewhere, <laughs> I'm sure, up the loft, probably. My wife will have put it up the loft somewhere. And now, you score your first and only goal for Scotland in the lead-up to that Kenny's 100th cap. cap, that was Romania, wasn't it? Kenny's 100th cap. Talk us through the goal then, for, for those who can't remember it. Um, if I remember rightly, it was a cross from, maybe it might have been Morris Malpass down the left, crossed it into the middle, and Goffey just nodded it back into my path. Um, I just, I'd come into the box just for the, edge, for the, for the midfield position and sort of hit it on the half volley into the corner. A special feeling, scoring for your country? Uh, yeah, it was. I mean, I did, as I say, only scored the one. Um, I actually did score, a, and, and if you look back, I scored against Denmark in the World Cup tie, but they chalked it off for offside. I don't know if you remember seeing that one. That was a, again, that was another one that was a bit of a blow for us because... See, I was going to get to that, but that obviously still, right. uh, that still annoys you because you, you just brought it up. So. No, it doesn't annoy <laughs> me because I think... Look, if VAR was here now, they're giving us a goal, but because I think they gave it against Charlie, who was away in an offside position, away in the wing or something. But that was such a close game that um, that could have made a difference to us. In fact, it would have made a difference to us had we got, had we got that goal, but it's all off some bots. But no, the, the remaining goal was, was a highlight for me because it was my only goal for my country. How do you look back on the World Cup as an experience then? Like I say, unfortunately, we are now entering a, a full generation of Scotland fans who have never seen us, never seen us at a major tournament. What was it like? the goal there, how do you reflect on that World Cup? Two completely different World Cups in the sense of Mexico and Italy. Um, I mean, the Mexico one, um, Sir Alex took us away to down to Santa Fe um, in New Mexico for altitude training. We went there three weeks, three weeks prior to the tournament, you know, and so the preparation, everything was like, you know, spot on. I mean, he had Walter Smith, he had Craig Brown, he had Andy Rocks, but all, all these guys are with him as well. So, um, and, and really he, he made it such. It was a good, there was a good bond in that group, that '86 group that went to Mexico. Uh, such a such a tough tournament because we knew the conditions were going to be so hard. You know, recovery in those conditions was so difficult. That's why it took us down to to New Mexico. Then we went down to Los Angeles and back up. The whole sports science things that was starting to develop in football at that time. The whole sports science was kicking in. You know, um, the food we ate. You know, the nutrition side of things. The the, the hydration side of things. Altitude training. He did everything possible to make it as comfortable as it could for, for a Northern European team to go down to Mexico to play the World Cup. It was still so difficult, though. I mean, um, the three games, obviously, you know, Denmark, Germany, it was a tough group, you know, Uruguay was such a, such a tough a tough competition. And we were a bit unlucky in the games, to be honest. As I say, we mentioned the, the Denmark game. We could beat after Gordon scoring the first goal against Germany. You know, we lost 2-1, and then the last game was a disaster because the whole game was flat. In fact, if I remember, statistically in that game, the ball was in play something like 32 minutes of the 90 because the referee made that big decision early doors in the game. Now, whether I don't think it really helped us overall, to be honest, sending the boy off because after that, he gave them everything. Every little decision went their way. They were time wasting from start to finish and to try and score a goal, you know, it was difficult, you know, because they were, they were so well organised. We talk about football having changed in terms of you know the physical nature of the game, what players do, what players yeah. get away with. When, when you look back at some of the the antics that night, yeah. how do you how do you remember that? 
Well, I, I, obviously it was a shocking tackle in the first place on Gordon, but you know, it was just after that the whole, the time wasting, the, the play acting, the gamesmanship was ridiculous, you know, and it was really frustrating on the pitch because it was a stop-start game. You know, you just couldn't get into any rhythm. We made a couple of chances. We did make a couple of chances in the game that we could have won the match um, and qualified, but in typical Scottish fashion, within there, you know, you get so close but so far, you know. But but in those days, you know. But we're, we were getting regular to the, to the World Cup finals, you know, every year. Um, but the, so the Mexico one was, it was, it was a tough World Cup physically, you know, even all the preparation. And um, it wasn't, there wasn't any really any glamour around it because it was pretty much bread and butter um, accommodation and training and games, you know. It was, it was full on physically. The, the Italian World Cup was slightly different because Andy being Andy, who, I got, who made me captain of the team, obviously, before that as well. I was captain leading up to McTetley. But he, he did, you know, he made, wanted to make sure that everything was done for the players and everything, that it was a really high level of preparation, high level of accommodation, that everything was really meticulous under Andy, you know, as far as preparation. And again, you know, he took the team to World Cup finals and, and we were a bit unlucky again, you know, in Italy as well with the games, you know, as to how the games went. Obviously, the first game, caught us by surprise in the sense of Costa Rica. You know, I've obviously seen Costa Rica re recently and I watched a few of the highlights. How we didn't win that game on that night, there was chances missed that we probably wouldn't miss again, you know? But we didn't. We then had to follow up by beating Sweden and then it was left to Brazil at the end. But, you know, the, the what would you say, the actual, the facility we stayed in, the training ground, the Italian World Cup was fantastic in the sense of, it was such a, a glamour tournament, you know? Not taking away from Mexico, Mexico was fantastic, it was a World Cup, but it was, Italy for me was just had that little edge as far as the whole of football was concerned. When Andy comes in and makes you captain, how does that come about? I mean, is that a phone call? Is it a training, a face-to-face? -face? How does, can, face -face, you, can you remember really? the moment? Face-to-face, -face, because I know there was a few, had a few options at the time, obviously, there was a few guys in contention for that, you know, because people on the team, um, like Sir Wally and Greg Goffey and a few others who were probably captains of their team as well. Um, at that time, but Andy just pulled me aside and I had a good relationship with Andy way back in the under-21s, obviously. He was with us in Mexico as well. Um, he just pulled me aside and said, look, I'm going to make you team captain. And it was a great honour for me, you know, at that time, because I had captained the team a few times before that, obviously. But to be made the team captain, then that's a bit like Alex done now with Andy Robertson, you know, he's made him team captain. Brownie was that before. Others have been in that bit in the past, but it gives you that... It's almost stability. It gives you the managers get confidence in you to be, to be the leader of the group, you know, and to be his sort of leader within the group itself, you know. And there's other responsibilities come with that regarding press and other things. You, you, you know, you're set, you're set to a higher standard as well in the sense of how you go about your business. So and does that feel different then when you go onto the pitch for the first time? I think with the permanent captaincy, it was a nil-nil draw against Ireland away. Uh, Do you feel different that night? Or oh, right, okay, I'm the captain of the team now. Um, no, I didn't necessarily feel different on the pitch. Um, psychologically, maybe you, you feel different. Because it's it's I'd been captain for Celtic many times before, and I just took the captain's role, and it's straight in the sense of I didn't feel any different whether I was or whether I wasn't in a sense. But it was as a pride from the pride point of view, it was obviously a great you know a great position to be in. But I, I still dealt with the game. My job was to get the best out of myself and others around me, you know, and, and even if I wasn't doing well myself or make sure others around me are, are, are pulling their part, are playing their part. But 
but the team was full of full of great players, you know. So although I was the team captain, there was others in the team that were also that took responsibility on the pitch, you know. And but it was just it was it was great to be to be honoured in that way, and, and it's something that I'll always treasure. And then especially at the World Cup, because yeah. not a lot of Scottish players have had that privilege of, of leading the nation out at a World Cup as captain. That yeah. must have been and that's what was slightly special. different as well, because maybe where more responsibility was for the captain as well off the pitch. I mean, if Andy wanted any, any information, getting back to the players, or Craig Brown wanted any information, they would come to me and I would gather, you know, sit with the boys or talk to the boys in a casual way, getting information across. There was press every single day virtually in the World Cup, so that was another thing. The captain, well, Andy wanted me to be there at, at nearly every day with the press, um, talking about the game ahead, talking about the group along with some other players, but I was virtually there every day. Um, so that was a slight different, you know, scenario. Um, when you go to a tournament, being the captain, um, there's a bit more responsibility, not just on the pitch, but that responsibility off it as well, to be the sort of link between him and the group, you know. I mean, assistant managers do that a lot as well, but the assistant manager will probably come and, and maybe link with myself as a captain of the team, you know, and even talking through training scenarios or how's the boys feeling, you know, How's, how's their fitness, how's, you know, how they feel about the training. Just that kind of scenario in a sense of just giving, just to fine tune certain things. Now, I mean, I dare say Andy Robertson has to deal with different challenges. We know the game's evolved and there are various things that are different, but a lot of it will be the same. Yeah. What, what type of advice would, would you give him? What type of challenges will he face? Um, I think he'll take it in his stride because I, th I think he's a, he's a mature character. I mean, and, and obviously Alec knows, knows that. Uh, Alec wants somebody there that he knows he can rely on game in and game out, which he'll have in Andy, you know, and he's proven that both at club and international level now. And obviously, Alec feels that, I don't know Andy that, that well, but Alec feels, and I see Gordon Strachan talking highly of him as well, guys that have worked with him, that he's the type of personality that can go into a dressing room, onto a training pitch, and, you know, have an influence and, and give the manager, because that, that'll, be, that'll be Alec's link between him and the Alex speaks to all players anyway, I know that one worked with Alex myself. But he'll he'll put a lot of trust in Andy coming back to him and giving him information on the mood of the group, you know, the fitness levels of the group, if the group are feeling a little bit jaded or whatever, just that little bits of information that will come along. And obviously he knows he can handle the press as well. So um, when it comes to dealing with the press on a, on a weekly or daily basis, then he, he can deal with that. But, you know, he's, he's a player who's come through the... the Tougher way in football, you know, he got his set back, has bounced back quickly, but that shows character for him. It shows that he's got, you know, big personality, big character. He's a terrific footballer. You know, he's a fantastic player. Um, but, you know, people that I've worked with him are a better judge than I am. I can only look at it from the outside looking in. But when I see people like Gordon Strachan and Alan McLeish, you know, saying, and obviously Klopp from Liverpool, saying how strong a character he is, that will stand him in great stead when it comes to dealing with... Um, Situations that will happen both on the pitch and off the pitch. We spoke about Jockstein earlier on, and then you mentioned you know Andy Roxburgh coming in, making you captain. What what type of manager was he? What what type of man was he? Andy was very organised, um, very structured, and everything he did. Him and Craig Brown, um, you know, really meticulous, and probably maybe to a point that some people didn't particularly enjoy it. You know what I mean? That that side of it. For me. I had no problem with Andy, no problem with Craig. I, I thought they, they both done a terrific job. In fact, Craig went on again. You know, both of them teams qualifying for the latter stages and competitions and, and, the, and the finals themselves. So, again, you've got to judge them on their results. And they were both able to build teams. Andy built strong team in, in Italy. Craig done it after that. Strong teams, 94, 98. Is that my right saying that? Yeah. So, and then Craig done the European Championships as well. 
the Craig of the team I'm trying to think I was after me I left by that time because yep. after the Italy I, I more or less retired mm -hmm. but as far as Andy was concerned he, he done everything to the fine tuning and all the small little things they call it marginal gains now because they've got this new term in it the aggregate of marginal gains which is all the small things you do like hydration and nutrition and sports science this is sport, sports science technology but Andy might have been a little bit ahead of his game and that's ahead of the game in that sense that he did everything he made sure that the, the, the diet was right he made sure that the training facilities were right the hotels were always first class there was never an excuse for a player to turn around and say I, I felt under Andy's regime oh this wasn't right or that wasn't right you know, some Scotland teams in the past have complained about certain things that weren't right with the facilities or training ground or travel or whatever. Now, Andy made sure everything was, was right there. And also when it came to preparation, you know, he videoed all the training sessions. Um, he, would go through, he would go through meticulously the, the opposition and our strengths as well. And nothing was left to chance. I never thought any game that we were unsure. So as a manager, that... That's what more, a head coach at that time, what more can you do? He prepared the team well, he gave us all the information and it was up to the players then to go on the pitch and, and uh, do the business and it was up to him to pick the best possible team. And it, it proved by his results that he did, he got, he got us to the, the last stages and you know the memorable games are the, the France game out here, Cyprus over in Cyprus, but the qualification to that Italy was tough. You know there's some memorable, memorable games there you know and, uh, and then going to Italy itself, you know, I think we performed, the first game was disappointing. But I think against Sweden and against Brazil, the team performed really, really well and was, un was unlucky not to qualify. Away from the major tournaments, I think you mentioned that earlier on, Richard Goff's goal, you, you have a, a win against England in yes. your international career. That must feel great. No, you great. see what it means to the fans. Is it great. That the was, same uh, to be involved and it was a big turn, As I say, it was a big turning point for me that game because I came into the team, uh, as I said, Fergie had come on, Alec Ferguson had come on with um, Jock. And I felt that was an influence. He, he put me in that position and gave me a specific role on the day. I was up against Brian Robson that day, and my job was to nullify him and then get myself into the game. You know, when we when we get the ball, so it was fairly. You know, he, he knew exactly what he wanted, but getting that result was fantastic. You know, beating England at Hamden, it's the only victory I had over England, so it was <laughs> it was nice to get. Um, and it was it was a it was a stepping stone for me. It was a chance for me to push on, which I did with my international career. And you know, over the next the first. Five, six years, I get 11 caps, and over the next five, six years, I get 40-odd, you know? So it was, um, it was a, it was a definite change for me, but that was a great game, yeah. It was a great atmosphere that day. I remember the Rouse Cup that day. It was, it was, a, wet, it was a wet day at Hamden, but... Oh, that always adds a bit, doesn't it? It does add a bit, <laughs> aye. It was, uh, the, the, the crowd were on fire. It was, it was good, and what a good team, you know? And I played with some great players, you know? I thoroughly enjoyed playing with Graham over the years. Could, could, you, could you pick one? If, you know, if someone put you in the spot and sort of I wouldn't, I wouldn't pick best. one, no, but I could pick a few. <laughs> You know, Douglas was, was brilliant because I played with him at Celtic as well for a few years. But Kenny could turn the, turn the game out of nothing, you know. And uh, Danny, for me, was the epitome of any international or club player. Just consistency from day one to, you know, every, every game he'd play the same, you know, and you wondered how he could do it, but he just kept that level of top level of performance. Graham was a fantastic player. I mean, Graham Souness was somebody, I played a lot of games beside him in the central park, but, you know, he always took the ball. If you're in difficulty, Graham always wanted it. He was always there to help. You know, he was a great captain as well because he took responsibility and he also made sure others around him were organised and took responsibility. Um, you know, you, th you think of so many other players. Little Gordon was fantastic as well. McLeish and Miller behind. You know, David Neary came in. Then you had Jim Leighton and Andy Gorham in goals. 
you know, Morris Malpass played a lot of games at left back. I don't want to miss out people. David Cooper played left wing. You know, when I first came into the team, John Robertson was in the team. I was when I came in as a boy, as a winger. You know, John Robertson was a great player way back when he's Nottingham Forest days. Then, then Coop came into the side. Um, you know, McIverney and Wee Moe and Charlie up front. You know, Somewhere. so so many great players over the years. It's difficult to actually Paul Stark, Mark McGee. You know, there's so many boys you played with over the years. But you know, the 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 Douglasian Sunis and McGrain. Um, for me, were the were three of the, the best that Scotland's ever produced in, in my time, you know, and I had the, pl the pleasure and privilege to play with them all. So, maybe it's a bit easier for this question then. Who would be because you played in so many memorable games? Who would be the the opponent when you lined up for Scotland that you thought, well, he was the best, he was the toughest I came up against in international games. Robson for England was a tough opponent. You know, he was box to box, so much energy. Could do everything really. He was, you know, and I played against him for Man United as well, with Celtic um, a couple of times, and um, others. I mean, I remember that that um, Danish team. They had uh, Loudrup, Elkier, and Anderson, and they were, you know, top top players. You know, um, over the years, there's been so many other players. You think back, and you know that you, that you play against Glenn Hoddle when he played with England as well, and a lot of times played against him a few times. Fantastic, you know, these are fantastic top international players, but there's so many that I really need to think about that longer. Um, also, when I went into games, I was always concerned, I always felt, in those days with Scotland as well, while you, you had respect for the opposition, it was always about trying to get your own game right, you know, and we always felt with those teams that we had, if we got it right on the day, we had a chance of winning the games, you know, with those, those players in the team, and those quality players, so a lot of the concentration was on, yeah, your opposition and making sure you get up against them and stopped in playing, but it was also about your own team. I was um, looking at some of the, the stats from your Scotland career, and I particularly like this one. So 57 caps, just the two yellow cards. Now, as a defensive player, there are a couple of mean, things... You're saying just the two, you're surprised at that? Like, well, what's one a, a couple of <laughs> options spring to mind. Either football was very different back then, or you were just that well-behaved, which is it? The second one, I was that well-behaved. <laughs> um, that's interesting, two yellow cards, yeah. I mean, again... I get a lot of occasions because you're captain of a country as well, and this this has have an effect. You maybe get away with a little bit more in a game. You maybe get away with a first or second foul in a game. Well, well, with being the captain, because the referees are always wanting to speak to you as a captain as well. So possibly that had a little bearing on it, because I was a defensive-minded player. I did go into tackles. You know, there wasn't many tackles that I drew out of. So you, you do tend to pick up yellow cards. There's probably a lot other, a lot more players that played that those kind of games, a lot of games, and picked out a lot more yellow cards. So why? I don't know, it could have been the fact that maybe I was captain for a lot of those games and maybe I get away with one or two things more than maybe some <laughs> other players would have at that time, you know. And uh, But, no, nah, that's, that's the only reason I can think of I that. think it was well behaved. I don't, I don't mind speaking. <laughs> I'll say it if you want. Um, so the final appearance comes 1991, a 1-0 defeat to Romania. What's it like when the international career comes to an end? Well, well, I'd actually brought it to an end. I'd actually said to Andy after the World Cup in 1990, I said, look, because I was at Newcastle at that time, I'd, I'd left Celtic just before the World Cup, and I was at Newcastle, and I said to Andy after the Italy, I said, look, you know, I've done my bit of some, some great young players coming through now, more players, I'm, I'm, I'm here, I'm, I'm not going to retire, but I'm here if you need me, you know, if you really need us, but I'm going to take a step back and concentrate on club football. I was now, I think, 31, 32, probably not that old really, I probably could have played a little bit longer, but I just felt it was time for me to sort of step back and, and take charge of the, of the, and plus spend more time with the family, because... With the international team and European games, you're away virtually every week. Trips here, three days there, four days there. I thought, now it's time to spend more time with the family. Um, 
So I said to him, I'll step back. So I play my time at Newcastle, I'll be there for a year and a half. I came back up to St Martin under Davy Hay, pardon me, before I went to Aberdeen. This would be 91, 92, was it? Yeah. And uh, and there was a, I think it was a shortage of players. I said, I think it was an injury situation. Andy called me and said, look, would you come and sit on the bench for me in this game? Uh, and if needed, you know, I'd maybe bring you on. I said, oh, that's just sure. I said, if you're, you know, if you need that, then. And I remember going to that Romanian game and we lost one nothing. I think, was it Hadji scored the winner, I think? I think you're right, it certainly yeah. was 1-0. Yeah. It was a tight game again, so it was a disappointing result. But I come on in the last, I think I come on in the last 25 minutes yeah. or something. Is that right? Mm-hmm. I think something like that. Um, in fact, I don't know if it's, I was at St Man, I don't know if any other St Man players played the national team since then, to be honest. There's an interesting there's one there's for you. I might, I might be you. one of the last <laughs> St Man players to actually play national. Nothing against yeah. St Man, but I might be one of the last players to play the national team. Um, so, that was that. And then I, then I stepped back from there and never, I never went back in since then. So I really basically came out of, came out of sort of retirement in a sense to, to, be, to help him out in that game. But I had made it clear that I would have done that if needed. And it was needed for that night. And unfortunately, we didn't win the game. But I'd already sort of committed myself to finishing. You know, look... I, so it wasn't that sort of sad ending where you, you, know, you no, wanted to go no, on? No, I, I finished after being captain of the World Cup. Really, yeah, that's where I, see yeah, it, that's the way I saw it. And, well, finishing a high, but I, I, don't, I never look back. And people say to me, oh, do you miss playing? Do you miss this? To be honest... I've been so lucky that I had a great playing career, played with some great players, great clubs, international football, you know, captain of my country, World Cups. I look back on it with pride and honour and I don't look back and think, oh, I wish I was playing now, I wish I was still playing. Playing's the best part, for sure, playing's the best part of football. Coaching managers, the next best thing. And, I, and I've, done, I've done all that, so... It's, um, no, the Scotland time was fantastic. Great memories and... It's something I always treasure, and it's nice to look back and things like this when you bring up little bits and pieces Memories. that I forget, you know, as well. So, how was the coaching side of it? Because of course you come back with Alex McLeish and his first spell in charge. Yeah. What was that like to be involved in? I enjoyed that. I mean, obviously I'd been um, coaching because I'd, I'd been at Aberdeen. Done, done, all, done all my badges down at the SFA along with a lot of the guys we're talking about here, with all my all my peers and mates at that time. You know, with were double badges under Andy Roxburgh and the, and the whole system with him and Craig Brown at that time, which was great. And, and really world-respected, re- world really. A lot of people come to Scottish courses, and they still are, because they were so... They were just um, practical as well, you know. They gave you that practical experience of being able to get on the field, have the confidence to to go in front of players and put your ideas... Afford. I don't think they made you... didn't make you the coach, but they gave you the tools to work with to, to be the coach you were going to be. You still have your own ideas and, and certain things, but you picked up a lot of um, good habits, good ideas, good opinions, good... just, just generally good information from the courses. And then I went down, I did Aberdeen and I went down to Leeds with Dave O'Leary, Villa, and then Alec asked me after the Villa to come and join him here for the year with Scotland. And it was great because um, the team was flying. I mean, when I say flying, it was a real a real bonded group, you know. Walter had done a terrific job beforehand. Alec stepped in and we were just taking on, trying, trying to take it on again and keep, keep momentum going. Uh, and that group, you know, to a man, you turned up for every game, they were always, it was a 25, 26-year squad. You know, we were picking them and they were all coming and it's, you know, it was a great year and I think Alec won seven out of ten games, was yep. it? He won in that year. Mm-hmm. And I thoroughly enjoyed it, you know, I really, it was really good. Um, different from day to day because you're only getting the players for short spells, but in between times, myself and Andy Watson, the games, we watched players, we'd go and visit training grounds, that kind of stuff. So it was, it was pretty full on as well. Um, and neither of us were working anywhere else at that time anyway, so we could both really give Alec 
100% sort of time, you know, that he needed. We used to meet here regular up, up the stairs um, to discuss different things, discuss squads. Uh, and I really enjoyed it. It was a great, great experience. And, uh, no, it's it was another another good experience for me and, you know, another string to my bonus sense of being able to, to go into that level and, and, and enjoy it. And as the results at the time, just unlucky against Italy in the last game. Got so close, you know, beating the, the French and... What are your Some memories of, of that night in Paris on the previous edition the of scored. this podcast? We've had James's own oh, yeah. take on it. I mean, what's yours? Because you must have a very different perspective on that night. Well, the, we, we went to the game, you know, making sure we were going to be hard to play against, you know. So it was a really solid-looking team, if you, you know. If I remember, it was, it was a pretty strong, pretty tight formation, you know. But we always had somebody like McFadden, who on his game can do something out of the ordinary. You know, that's the thing. He's, he's a special player for the point of view of match winner, you know, and he showed that right through his career, especially with Scotland, I mean, he scored some unbelievable goals, and on the night, you know, when the, when the ball fell to him, you know, he was probably the only one on that pitch that would, that would see the goalkeeper just off his line a little bit and have a go at it, you know, and he caught it great and right in the top corner, and I, I remember after the game, we got we get the police escort down the Champs-Élysées back to the airport, I mean, the place, it was just, that that's, you know, the place was empty, and with this police escort driving us back to the centre of France, to get to the Paris Charles de Gaulle airport. And, you know, on the night, having won the game, having known it was a massive boost to try and get to the finals, just a terrific, terrific experience, you know. And, and the one that you can't really... It's difficult to explain to people the actual the feel on the night, but, you know, to, to beat one of the world's best teams in such a way, with such a fantastic goal, such an important three points, and, you know, then be, like, giving the police escort back to the airport, you know... A lap of honour through France, <laughs> in a sense, you know? Of course, that campaign comes with so much joy, but then so much frustration mm. and disappointment as well, particularly if you think Georgia and Italy, those yes. are the, the two biggest frustrations. How do you reflect on those? Georgia was disappointing because, you know, we were good enough to go there and win. We didn't play on the night. Definitely should have won the game, or should have been able to take something from the Georgian game, and that was the one that set us back. It then goes down to the Italian game, but, the, the, you know, all the games all the games here at Hamden, I mean, the, the atmosphere on every one of those games, it was special at that time. You know, if you think back to it, you know, the, the, the mood, you couldn't get a ticket for the games, you know, and, you know, the Ukraine game and um, just the whole, the whole build-up to, the, to every, every one of those games and even the Italian game, you know, just how we lost it at the end was so disappointing because it was never a free kick in the corner and then we just switched off a little bit defensively to allow the boy to get the header in. You know, it's a, it's a goal that probably the defenders and the goalkeeper at the time would probably look back and think, well, I could have done a little bit better there, you know, because they they'd been outstanding you know, in the, in the games prior to that. It was a bad goal to lose, albeit we felt a bit aggrieved because of the way the referee had given it in the last actually, couple of minutes. The free kick, it was never a free kick. But that's football, you know. It's, it's a, you know, there's such a thin line between success and failure. Um, the good teams managed to cross that line more often than not. And in the past, we were able to do that going back into the 70s and 80s when Scotland were qualifying regularly. Now the team's got to get to that level again to be able to get to cross that line, you know, and hopefully this time with the, with the European Championship draw with the, with the Nations League also a little back door, albeit it's a tough one. You know, I was looking yesterday and seeing the, the route to get to the setup. To be one of those teams that get to the, through that door is difficult. But at least there's an opportunity there and Alex building a team, my young side, that I think, you know, I've got some terrific players and hopefully they can cross that line and get to the next stage because it is, it is such a thin line, you know. And, you know, one mistake, one... Miss chance, one bit of poor defending can cost you. 
That does bring us to a close on the latest edition of the official Scotland podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe. Uh, and I think it's only appropriate to finish by thanking Roy Aitken. I'm sure you'll agree some fantastic stories, some great memories. And uh, hopefully we'll do it again soon. <laughs>